As many of you know, after 16 years, this is my last time at Women of the Year in this role. One of the great pleasures of my working life has been the ability to come in every morning and work with people who have a shared mission. They are there every day to make life better or more entertaining or healthier or fuller for women, and that has been such a joy to come into. Hi, and welcome back to Women Rule. I'm Anna Palmer, Senior Washington Correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. That voice from earlier is Cindy Levy, the outgoing editor-in-chief of Glamour Magazine and today's Women Rule guest. That bit from Cindy was actually from her speech at Glamour's Woman of the Year Awards show earlier this month, where Cindy was a surprise honoree. Okay, I'm a little overwhelmed. Uh, control freaks hate surprises. <laughs> Maybe some of you are familiar with that. So we taped our interview with Cindy at Glamour's offices the morning after the awards show, and it felt like a really fitting moment to take stock of her career at the magazine. Cindy's been with Glamour for 16 years. She started out as an editorial assistant and made her way up to the top. Along the way, she really expanded the brand to champion women and girls, from first starting that awards show to launching initiatives like The Girl Project, which pushes for girls' education around the world. Cindy has also interviewed every sitting president for the magazine, except President Donald Trump. She told me it's something she still really wants to do. Cindy and I chatted about a lot of interesting things. Her legacy at Glamour, how she wished the magazine's coverage had differed over the years, and what she thinks of the current politically charged moment women find themselves in. And she also spoke really frankly about issues of sexual harassment and assault. So stay tuned for all of that. On the Women Rule podcast, we'll be bringing you backstage with women leaders, the big bosses in politics and policy. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And please share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter at APalmerDC. Women Rule is produced by Politico in partnership with our founding partners, Google, and the Tory Burch Foundation. And now a word from our presenting sponsor, Chevron. When more girls go into science, technology, engineering, and math, the whole world benefits. With support from families, schools, policymakers, and businesses, girls can do remarkable things with STEM. Chevron is proud to join Women Rule in empowering the next generation of female leaders. And now, my conversation with Cindy Levy. Good morning. Thank you so much, Cindy, for joining us, especially after a late night at your annual Glamour Women of the Year dinner and awards ceremony. Uh, this is the capstone event of the year for Glamour. comes as you are ending your 16-year reign as editor-in-chief of Glamour. Talk to us. What was the highlight of the night for you? Oh, my gosh. I, I don't even know if I could really pinpoint it because I will say that the exceptional thing about this year's Women of the Year for me was that it captured so much of the energy that is happening right now for women. I mean, we, you know, anybody who is sentient and, and reading the the news knows that women are energized right now. They're activated. A lot of it, I think, tracks back to the election last year. But through everything from activation over health care to um, racial justice issues to most recently this fall, the wave of sexual harassment accusations that have come out in so many different fields. I think there's a sense that women just are fed up and don't want to deal with it anymore. And, you know, while that 
comes from a place of frustration. It also lends an excitement and urgency to events like this, which celebrate all the ways that women are using their voices. So it just I felt like this this year, this year's Women of the Year really captured that energy. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty politically charged, right? When you look at kind of who was chosen as the woman of the year, as well as kind of one of the most poignant moments for me was, you know, you had the four women on stage, Anita Hill, who had spoken out against sexual harassment and assault in their professions. In 1991, I testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee that Clarence Thomas, who had repeatedly harassed me when he was my boss, was unsuitable to sit on the U.S. Supreme Court. The outcome of my testimony was not what I'd hoped, but in no way was it the final word. How important important was that moment for you? Was it planned, uh, you know, kind of far in advance, or did it come together at the end? That came together at the end because, you know, the way things work in magazine journalism, we had chosen many of our winners over the summer, and they included both people who were political, like our Lifetime Achievement winner, Maxine Waters, um, who we honored at 79 for her career and her her new fandom among young people, uh, but also people like Patty Jenkins, the director of, of Wonder Woman, um, and Nicole Kidman, who's having a huge year um, and had won an Emmy this year. So we had selected a lot of the winners over the summer, and then all of a sudden this fall, there's this moment, and all anybody can talk about is all of these women who are coming forward, and you just see every day women putting their personal reputations on the line. You know, some women for whom it's somewhat easy to come forward, others for whom it's incredibly difficult, and they've put it off for years. And we thought, you know, you can't celebrate what women are doing in the world without talking about this. So we made it happen. Do you have envisioned this discussion of harassment becoming just what everyone is talking about 16 years ago when you took over this job? I mean, to me, I couldn't even imagine it five years ago. Maybe it was something you talked about with your girlfriends if something, an incident happened. Well, yes and no. I mean, in some way, I feel that these conversations have been happening for years and years and years. I mean, you know, right after I graduated from college, there were the Anita Hill hearings, and she testified about sexual harassment. And then you had you know, increased numbers of women calling hotlines and people starting to talk about it. And that felt at the time like, okay, finally, we're going to get this done. And like flash forward, it's 26 years later, and we're still having these conversations. So in some ways, I think it feels overdue. And I think that's actually part of what you're feeling right now. Women are are breaking their silence, but also there's a feeling of impatience of why are we still talking about this? Why isn't this fixed? Talk about Vice President Biden. He was at the summit. He mm-hmm. apologized to Anita Hill, saying, you know, he, he thought that was the moment that things were going to change, and, you know, he felt badly about how she was treated. I am so sorry that she had to go through what she went through. Think of the courage it took for her to come forward. She got put through hell. And so, but I feel really badly she didn't feel like the process worked. But I tell you what, I said something at the time that proved to be right. I said this is going to be the start of a fundamental change, what constitutes harassment in the workplace, and people are going to begin to change. He did. You know, it was it was interesting. He says he said when I asked him that question at the summit that he had always believed Anita Hill, um, that he never doubted her testimony and that that was why he had voted not to confirm Clarence Thomas and that he had no doubt that Justice Thomas had done the things that Anita Hill said he did. Um, He said he was sorry that she felt that it was not a productive exercise. You know, she has said that she didn't feel she was treated fairly um, by the committee and that she believes that the three additional women whose testimony could have been admitted should have been more fully heard. Um, You know, I think he 
apologized for how she felt and he did say he was sorry. I'm I'm not sure that he I think he feels sorry that it had the outcome that that it did. I did not fully with with all due respect to Vice President Biden hear him say that he would have done things completely differently. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I thought was interesting was Samantha Bee's point uh, last night. It's wonderful to to recognize women, and of course it's wonderful to be recognized, but I really do have to say that I look forward to a time when we can get dressed up and be together and eat fancy finger foods and talk about completely different things, like a time when women's equality will just be a given. She was hoping for a day or a time when maybe a woman of the year isn't necessary or a moment because it's just women are going to be doing so well and they'll be at a place where achievement isn't surprising or something that needs to be lauded. Do you see that coming? Do you you agree with her? Or do you think even if, you know, we make strides that, you know, taking a moment and celebrating women is something that should always be done? I mean, I believe in celebrating women. So, yes, I would say it should always be done. I think, you know, we do need to kind of push past some of the generic ways we tend to celebrate women. Like, yay, look at her. She's wonderful. Well, you know, can you use the example of a woman who has done something tremendous to actually tease out what did she do to get to that place? What have been the challenges that she's overcome? One of the moments that I loved last night was when Peggy Whitson, who's this extraordinary astronaut who's logged more days in space than any other American astronaut, male or female, talked about how she applied to be an astronaut for 10 years and was rejected for 10 years before she got in. That to me is, you know, that's the kind of thing that if I'm an 18-year-old sitting in the audience, I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember that when I'm trying for 10 years to do whatever it is that I want to do. And that's more meaningful than just saying, yay, look, a woman astronaut, although that is pretty freaking cool in its own right. Um, And I I think the other thing that needs to change is the idea that we need girls to see female role models. We need everyone, boys and girls, to see female role models. I mean, last night was the first year that we invited young boys to be in the audience alongside. We always bring in about 400 girls from girls' schools and um, and, uh, communities around the tri-state area. And last year, this year for the first time, we also included boys because, you know, it's important for boys to grow up knowing that women can do all of these incredible things in the world, you know, both so they can support their female friends and colleagues and sisters and partners, but also so that when they get a job working for a female boss, which is going to happen, they don't have an issue with it. <laughs> do, you, do you, in terms of that, I mean, what is the advice that you've given? I mean, obviously, you've been a role model, you've been a mentor to women, to I'm sure men along the way in your career. How do you try to kind of lift them up or show them, you know, how being a woman leader is important? You know, I'm not sure it's something I've even thought that consciously about. I think as I've gotten farther along in my career, I've, you know, certainly tried more actively to kind of reach out to people to mentor them and not just when they come to me. Um, And I think I've also just gotten a lot more open, um, maybe as we all do as we get older, about, you know, talking about my own vulnerabilities, places where I'm not sure, places where you know, mistakes I've made in my career and how I tried to deal with them, um, you know, and not to wrap everything up in a neat little bow. 
let's talk politics. We're Politico. Uh, you made Hillary Clinton the first woman candidate ever endorsed by Glamour, the first candidate endorsed mm-hmm. by uh, Glamour. Why now? How did you come up with that decision? It it was a decision that kind of made itself. And it's funny because I went into the 2016 election assuming that Glamour would not endorse, as we had not ever during my tenure. And you know, as we drew closer, it just started to seem to me that it was disingenuous um, for me not to share my own feelings and opinions about the election. Glamour is a brand that is always telling women, you know, you have a voice, you should share it, tell people how you feel, you know, figure out what your opinion is and make it heard. And it felt like I was adhering to some sort of old fashioned and phony standard of quote unquote objectivity when I felt that if you objectively looked at the facts from a woman's point of view, one candidate was was far, far preferable to the other. Um, So, you know, I did talk it through at length with my team um, because I wanted to make sure that everybody was comfortable with it and that they, you know, wouldn't be in a position if they didn't share my feeling of coming into work and feeling like, gosh, I, you know, I can't believe this is what Glamour is putting out there and that's not how I feel. And, you know, we had great discussions about it. And in the end, everybody was very, very supportive and especially the young women on the staff were like, you know, if this is a brand that stands for women, we have to do this. Did you was there concern of pushback of, you know, conservative women who I'm sure are part of your readership might not agree with the philosophy? Or did you hear from readers that were upset that you were weighing into the debate? You know, one of the things that I tried to do when I wrote the the piece endorsing Hillary Clinton was to talk to our own conservative columnists. So I interviewed Essie Cup, who was a columnist for us at that time, about how she felt about um, about the candidates. She did not support Trump, but she also did not support Clinton. She wrote in a candidate for president, I I believe. Um, and I also just, you know, I, I tried to put it in the context of women's right to have an opinion about politics and a vote about politics. So I talked about how hard won the vote was for women, you know, back 100 years ago, and, um, and how important it was that we take that seriously. And this was the decision that I had come to, and here was why. And, you know, but, but all of you readers are part of the glamour community, and I want you to tell me how you feel. And I hoped that that was the, the respectful way to do it. I mean, we got you know, certainly some letters from people who disagreed or who felt that a, you know, quote unquote fashion brand shouldn't be delving into politics, but we always get a smattering of those. And I would say that the positive support and the cheers, particularly from our younger audience, far outweighed those notes. We'll be right back with more Women Rule. But first, a word from our presenting sponsor, Chevron. When more girls go into science, technology, engineering, and math, the whole world benefits. With support from families, schools, policymakers, and businesses, girls can do remarkable things with STEM. Chevron is proud to join Women Rule in empowering the next generation of female leaders. How, so obviously Hillary Clinton, Clinton did not win. <laughs> um, flash forward. Breaking news. Um, but when you think about that, how has Glamour covered the Trump administration? How have you sought to cover politics post 
this election. I think it's evolved, you know, as we've as we've gone through the year. Um, you know, we tend to cover things from an issue-based perspective. So, you know, it's less about covering Trump per se than it is covering what Trump and the admin- and his administration are trying to do on health care, on women's issues, on global issues, on environmental issues and race and all of the issues that our young female audience cares about. So, um, you know, certainly I think we're careful to to try to not be knee jerk and assume that, you know, we, we try to come from particularly back in you know, January, we tried to come from a place of assuming good intentions. Um, and, you know, I think as the year has gone on, we probably have um, some of our columnists have become more pointed and and critical. But I also feel that, you know, our job is to represent the interests of young women in this country. Um, and young women are really concerned about some of the administration's moves. Last week, you wrote a piece kind of reflecting on your time at Glamour. You wrote, over the last 16 years I've been at Glamour, Congress has gone from 14 percent to only 20 percent female. Is there something you think that could have been done differently to change that, whether that's in media or just socially to try to get more females to actually run for office? Yeah, I think it's it's a bunch of different issues. I mean, number one is you're you're just getting at not enough women have run, and that is changing. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've heard these statistics too, but Emily's list reports that this year I think they've had almost 20,000 women so far raise their hand to try to run for office, and I believe last year it was 700. So that is something like a 3,000 percent increase. You'll check my math. <laughs> Secondly, I think it's challenging people's stereotypes of you know, what's appropriate in a candidate. You know, we all need to change our minds about what a person in government or leadership looks like. And I think, you know, that goes to so many things that are so subtle that we don't even realize it. I mean, one of the other things that I wrote about in that same piece was I have a friend who is very feminist, supports women. Um, she's She runs her own quite successful small business. And she recently told me that she realized that she, when she was hiring, she was checking women's references more thoroughly than she was checking men's. And on some level, she realized that she trusted men slightly more just on a very, you know, sort of subconscious level than women. And she felt, you know, she was taking more of a risk by hiring women than she was by hiring men. And, you know, those are the kinds of really, really subtle biases that we do all walk around with, but they contribute to that moment when you're sitting there in the voting booth and trying to decide who to pull the lever for. I, mean, I guess no one really pulls a lever anymore, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, when you think about that, I mean, on the flip side, right, which I actually think is a conversation we've been having in Washington this all, all this fall is looking at several women politicians like House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, very successful in their – but there's a big call for them to leave their positions to mm-hmm. say, you know, do you think this is sexist because of its ageism or is it just reality maybe that there's, it's time to make room for that next generation of leaders? It's a, kind of a push-pull in a dialogue that we're having. I think I think it's probably a combination of both. Like I think, you know, there is a sense of like, OK, we need new blood and some of that is healthy and some of that is is gender neutral. I do think that some of what I hear, you know, about – about that generation of, you know, Feinstein and and Pelosi, there's a little, it's slightly gendered, and it's partly because they, you know, they kind of stick out more, right? They're, you know, they're still relatively lone women in a crowd of men, so it's sort of easier to single them out. And I think they, you know, sometimes 
um, urgency on the part of a woman, um, particularly a woman over 50, is sometimes perceived as shrillness. And I do hear I do hear a little bit of that when I hear the, the criticism of those two. Yeah, it's interesting because I think Pelosi would say that that as well. That I mean, if you look at her, she pl- you know pulls the levers of Congress better than most of her counterparts that are that are all men. In terms of that, do you notice a substance a substantive difference in the leadership styles of men versus women, or is it more kind of person to person from your perspective? I mean, I think it's it's both. I mean, obviously, all women are different, and hopefully, all women will be even more different as we get lots of different kinds of women into political leadership. I do think that you know most studies show that when you look at how women work in organizations, whether the you know whether those are legislatures or companies, they do statistically tend to you know get things caught less in gridlock, work more in a collaborative fashion. They do tend to promote the interests of women more than men do. Um, There are a million exceptions to this rule. And every time I say this, somebody will jump up and be like, well, what about (laughs) Michelle Bachman? And obviously, all women are different. But collectively, when you look at this across large bodies of people, statistically, it's true. I mean, certainly in in Washington, more women get legislation passed together than men by far. Yeah. And look at, you know, if you look at healthcare, I mean, it was Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. And I don't think it is a a coincidence that those are both women. about that in terms of how you pick, you said earlier, you pick stories based on issues that are important to women. What are the stories right now that you think are, you know, most important given the Trump administration, given what's happening in mm. the debate about health care, taxes, everything else? I think, you know, it's interesting because it's changed a lot over, you know, the last five years. I think if you asked our news team five years ago, you know, what are the New, the political issues that are most urgent to your audience that you feel it's glamorous job to cover, we probably all would have said, you know, reproductive rights, certainly access to birth control, health care, you know, the educational system. All of those things are still, you know, very urgent issues for women and, you know, more so than ever because of our political climate. But our young audience is also, you know, deeply concerned with issues of racial justice, um, immigration, LGBTQ rights, um, you know, all of these things that might not have been defined as women's issues a couple of years ago. But I think we've, you know, really come to understand that women have multiple issues and these are things we care deeply about. So we we cover all of all of those things. One of the quotes uh, that I was reading of yours uh, that I really enjoyed was you've said, you know, while we are sometimes admonished to stay in our lane, our lane is women. So that means both lipstick and legislation uh, are on the table. So what's the ratio of Glamour's lipstick to legislation coverage when you look at kind of the book or the magazine on a monthly basis? It, it depends. It depends what you are looking at. Like if you're looking at the magazine, you know, there's a tremendous amount of fashion and beauty in the magazine because part of what you can do on a print page is lovely, lush photography. So that's what we choose to do there. Although I would say in every issue of the magazine, there are, you know, probably several short and at least one long investigative piece about issues that relate to women's health or political standing profiles of women who have been courageous in in um, the December 
Women of the Year issue, you know, the bulk of the magazine is giving is given over to the Women of the Year winners, and those include everybody from Maxine Waters, who we were talking about, to the organizers of the Historic Women's March last January. Um, but I, I think the bulk of the book is probably, you know, beauty and fashion and, and health. Um, if you look at our digital platforms, there's a much higher ratio of political content because we're covering it on a daily basis. And, you know, you're also able to, you know, to get content exactly to the people who want it. So if you, you know, if you're only interested in lipstick and you don't want the legislation, (laughs) you can get that on our, you know, on our site. But, you know, our feeling is that, you know, our world is the world of young women. And right now, at this moment in time, part of what young women are consumed with is the, you know, all the social issues around us. Let's let's talk about your legacy at Glamour. Uh, you're closing things out. One of the questions I was thinking about is kind of, if you had a time machine, is there a coverage decision you wish you could have made differently or anything you're, you know, not proud of covering or wish, you know, you've taken a different tact on? Mm. Well, I think about that in regard to the election a lot. I'm really proud of the fact that we endorsed Hillary Clinton and, um, you know, particularly in light of what happened, really happy that, you know, that I spoke my mind as forcefully as I could. Um, I'm, I regret that I didn't have a chance to interview Donald Trump before the election. And um, and I regret that I'm leaving this position before I've had the opportunity to do so in his role as president. Um, I would still enjoy that for the record if his team <laughs> is listening. Um, and, you know, going, going back beyond that, I mean, you know, I feel like there are sort of little things that I've been, you know, enlightened about over the years. This, these are not political issues. But, you know, we used to cover diets. We used to sort of assume that, you know, most women wanted to lose weight. And although, you know, our job was to tell them how to do that in a healthy way, you know, we would cover that. And I, you know, and I think that, you know, that no longer seems appropriate to me. I think, you know, our, our, I think glamour has always shown a really diverse representation of women. But, you know, when I look back at our issues 10 years ago, they don't feel right for the world we live in today. You know, there's still too much of what, you know, now seems like a dated or incredibly narrow ideal of what of what women should look like. And I'm, I'm pleased that that's gone. <laughs> so, talk to me about Trump, this, in, this Trump interview in your imagination. <laughs> what would what would you touch on? What would be the question or the thing that you would want to try to get out of? Well, I still want a much fuller accounting from our commander in chief about his history or non-history of sexual assault. How have you, obviously, I assume you've been following the Roy Moore scandal and its ongoing uh, nature. How have you felt about kind of the Republican Party's response to that? Do you think he should step down, as I think most Democrats and others have have called for him to do? Well, I don't really care if he steps down. I just want him to be defeated. (laughs) (laughs) But I I mean, (laughs) I mean, really, you know, I think the important thing is that he not take office, you know, Um, and with the election coming up. But yes, of course, he should step down. I think it was progress, albeit slow progress, that, you know, people like Mitch McConnell are now saying, you know, I believe these women. And I think, you know, you can put credit for that at the feet of women like Ashley Judd, who have used their platform to show that, you know, we do need to believe these women, that the old-fashioned thing of, like, I'm going to assume that these guys are innocent, you know, even when 50 women come out and say the contrary. I'm going to assume that these guys are innocent until they're convicted in a court of law, which is how a lot of, you know, a, a lot of men formerly accused of sexually sexual assault used to get 
you know, dealt with, I think everybody understands that, like, no, you know, if, if most women, when they come out about this, are telling the truth and should be believed. Right. So what's next for you? Uh, this is kind of closing out a chapter, obviously, uh, on a big night. Uh, you know, where should we, where are we going to see Cindy Levy next? <laughs> well, short term, I'm going to try to take, you know, a, a, a minute or two. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing a book and I'll be working on that in sort of the first quarter of, of next year. And and I'm trying to lay low, although, you know, as my husband puts it, like, maybe when you're, st- as you're still describing things in quarters, that means you haven't <laughs> fully, fully taken. <laughs> Taking yourself out of the business world, so yeah, in, in Q1 I'll be relaxing with my family. Um, so so yeah, I'm working on that, and then and then beyond that I haven't announced yet. But um, you know, these kinds of issues that we're talking about are the kinds of things that I'm certainly excited about continuing to work on. And can you tell us anything about the book, or have you? Div- well, it's actually going to be about this moment that we find ourselves in as women. Um, you know, how did how did we get here? There is this sort of electric energy right now. What do we do with it? Um, how do we make sure that it doesn't just evaporate and then we're back 10 years from now having the same old conversation? What advice do you have to our listeners who are in this moment, who are living it every day in terms of, you know, kind of trying to make that progress as you kind of exit this chapter of your life into the next? I mean, I think, you know, for for your female listeners, I would say, you know, just keep keep sharing your stories and keep around you other women who you know, are in a similar position as you. I mean, you know, I think all of the old rules that sort of told women that they had to compete with each other, which was sometimes true because sometimes, you know, if you worked in a male-dominated profession, there was this feeling of like, well, we can only have one of her, you know, one white woman, one black woman. Um, You know, you have to, whether or not that's true where you work, you have to act like it's not true. And, And I think... I was really struck by an interview that Shailene Flanagan, who just won the um, New York City Marathon, um, gave last week where she talked about how having other women around you, having a tribe of women around you is an act of self-interest because you actually you can succeed more often and better in a more satisfying way when you have that team around you. Um, so that's what I would say to your female listeners and to your male list- listeners who are interested in these issues of equality. I would just say, you know, this is this is your work, too. Like, you don't need to have, if you're talking about sexual harassment, sexual assault, you don't need to have a female colleague or a wife or a daughter who has suffered from this for this to be your issue. This is like an everybody issue. This is just a human issue. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me.